Thank you. It has been wonderful being with you. And um, it's like living home. It has been very good. Thank you so much. And um, <coughs> you know, we all know scripture. We all have heard. But now we get to live. A lot of the things that scripture says the prophets of old and the saints of old longed for, we get to live. And we get to experience. We also get, not only get to experience the great things God is doing, we get to experience the hard things the Bible talks about. We get to experience, you know, the birth pangs that the planet goes through, the earth groaning, nature crying out for the revealing of the sons of the children of God. We are living that. And it is going to increase. And when we see all these things happening, and all the trouble out there, it is simply because Bible prophecy is being fulfilled and Jesus is coming back. And the expectation of his return needs to be one of the most important things in our lives. That he is coming back. That it is true. That it is a reality. Scripture tells us in Second Peter 3, that in these days, there is a great warning there that we have to be so mindful of individually and corporately that in these days, scoffers would come to say, when is the day of his return? Because since the days of old, since our fathers uh, went to sleep, we have been hearing of his coming back, but nothing has happened. So let's keep on living life as, you know, normal. Don't worry about it. And you know that is happening right now, and it is really scary. There is a camp in the church. You know, there is this separation happening. When there are those who are waiting for his return, and there are those who are saying, oh, well, we have heard that, and generations past have heard that, relax. You know, and there is such great danger in that. Because we all know that about the thief in the night and all those things. Now, in these days, it is very important for us to prepare and to be ready so that we are not taken by surprise by many things so that our spirit, soul, and body are aligned with the kingdom completely. Our spirit is, we know that the spirit is ready, the Bible says. The problem we have is that our soul tends to wander around a little bit. And our soul being, our, our mind, will, and emotions tend to get distracted. And our soul has great influence in our lives. What we feel, what we experience, our emotions, our thoughts are very powerful. And so our soul is, you know, many times is the one we need to actually help and bring it along and help our soul because our spirit is ready. The body responds to these things. The body responds 
you know, if the spirit and the soul are connected with God, life will flow, your body will be great, and your health improves, and all kinds of things. But if not, then trouble comes, and the body just responds to that. The scripture says in Revelation 22:17, the spirit and the bride say, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Let anyone who hears say, Come. And you know, in these days, the scripture says, It's the spirit and the bride that say, Come. And it is in the spirit and the church, the spirit and the bride, that say, Come. And we have to be very careful that we quickly align ourselves if we are not there. You know, we need to live our lives, Paul says, eagerly awaiting his return. A bride eagerly awaits that the wedding day. When you are a bride to a bridegroom, I don't know, I've never been one, but I have been a bride. And one of the characteristics of a bride is that she can't wait. She eagerly awaits for that day. There is a passion. There is an excitement. There is, you know, she is focused on that. And, you know, you you mark the days. You can't wait for the day when it comes. And even since we are little, you know, we play wedding. We play house and we play wedding, girls. And, you know, we play, pretend that we are getting married, put towels on our heads and everything. And it is a big thing for us because we eagerly await for that day. It will come one day, and it is a dream within us. We need to live like that. We need to raise a household like that where the family, the house, the children know we are eagerly awaiting for his return. We are not just the church, we are the bride. He's coming for a bride. You see, and he is longing for the bride to arise more and more and to become eager for his return. Scripture says in Matthew 24 that because of lawlessness, because the sin will increase in these days, and it is happening, the love of many will grow cold. And that is, my friends, the greatest persecution of the church today. Is the, bless you, is lukewarmness. You know, it's lukewarmness. The enemy is searching for hearts that are not eagerly awaiting for hearts that he can turn lukewarm because if he can turn us lukewarm our first love is one of the most precious things we need to keep we need to invest in, in that in our lives you know just like in our marriages there is no reason whatsoever why it has to pass people say well it's the novelty you have been just married oh yeah wait it will why? We have been together for almost 30 years. We are still in our first love. It has never passed. 
And we are as affectionate or even more than before and as in love more than before. I still gasp when I hear the sound of his voice. After all these years together, married almost 28. And it doesn't have to go, but you have to invest in protecting it and keeping it alive. You see, and it's the same thing with Jesus. It's the same thing with God. We need to protect that first love. It is so easy to lose it. So, so easy. Because of the trouble in the world. Because we are so earthly bound. And we are so... As the Hebrew says, that we are foreigners passing through. But I have... This is a whole other conference. But... Sadly, most of God's people live as foreigners in the kingdom, not as foreigners in the world. And we need to change that to be at home in the kingdom here and foreigners in the world and foreigners to the earthly things. But our affections for everything that is earthly, it's so great. We all deal with this, that we get so distracted. And that our soul gets attached uh, to other things, we say very quickly, he is the lover of our soul. And you know, it is easy to say, it's easy to say anything. And we learn that in the, king, in the kingdom of the world, in the kingdom of man, the earthly realm teaches us that, to say the right thing, whether you mean it or not. But... You know, we say things, expressions like that. He's the lover of my soul. You are the lover of my soul. Is he really the lover of your soul? It's easy to say it, but do you live it? Is he the lover of your soul? Is your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions in love with him? Are they focused on him? Is your soul focused on him? Is your mind focused on him? Because when you are in love, that's what you talk, think about, talk about, that's it. You talk to a girl in love, you talk to a bridegroom or a bride, all you hear is about the other one. You get to know the fiancé very quickly through them, because that's all you hear about. When, and uh, is your soul engaged in this, in a practical active way. Are your emotions in love with him? Do your emotions know him the way your spirit does? Your spirit does. The Bible says that the spirit is ready. And the spirit knows. And the spirit is focused. The spirit is eager. The spirit is there. Even though it's living through the journey on earth as we uh, journey home, the spirit is there, focused there. It knows but the soul is the problem. Does your, is your soul there? See, we talked this weekend about oneness with God, oneness with the Trinity, oneness with each other. But, you know, we also have to enter into oneness within ourselves. That our spirit, soul, and body are in oneness also with God. Not divided. One focused with God, the other one wandering around, the other one you know, uh, being fed or practicing things that are not right and so on because we can be very divided in three different realms, you know, spirit, soul and body is very easy. 
are we there in that place? Our soul is very interesting. And our soul lives in the moment. Is the now? Is the today? Is what I like? Is what I want? Is give me what I want? I need this. Give me that. Our soul is very interesting, very demanding. Give me, I want it now. Make me feel good. I don't care what it takes. Make me feel good. And we live in a society geared to catering to the soul. You know, and that's why it is, you know, advertising is so powerful. I used to be a businesswoman. I know marketing. You have reached the soul. You have to, you get the product everywhere. You make it appealing to the soul, appealing to the mind, appealing to the senses. There's a lot of psychology in marketing because you have to reach the soul of people and you get it. You know, and so, uh, the enemy has done a great job at doing it with the pleasures of life, with the cares of life, with everything that matters in life. Because the warning in Matthew is, because of lawlessness, because of trouble, because of sin increasing, is that our loves will grow cold. And But those who endure till the end, they will be saved. So we have to make sure that our affections are correct and in the right place. So, the problem is, we know how to say the right thing. Our spirit is there. And we forget about the soul part. So, our soul is, unfortunately, very unfaithful. Our soul is given to many lovers. And that's why we need to make choices to make him the one and only lover of the soul. The lover of your soul is completely different when you live it. When your soul knows him like that. See, our soul is given to many, many, many lovers. Our soul, you know, is like Hosea's wife, you know, in the Bible. He had to keep buying her back because she kept going back to her pimps and her lovers and all of that. Our soul is like that. Our soul has so many affections and lovers and keeps, you know, it's drawn to many, you know, and we have to find out who are the lovers of our soul. We know our spirit has one, but our soul. Who are the lovers of our soul? See, the lovers of the soul, they're good lovers, they're bad lovers, they're cruel lovers, they're abusive lovers. And the soul, unfortunately, gets caught with all of them. A lover of your soul can be good things, can be blessings, can be promises, can be good things. You know, the lover of, this, a lover of your soul is, can be your children. It's a good thing. Or your spouse, or it can be your, the promises of God. Anything that your soul longs for more often, constantly, than Jesus. Than Jesus coming back. Anything that your soul focuses on, you know, it's a lover of your soul. 
You see, I had a girl come to my office, a church, two girls from my church in the last year, came to talk to me, troubled with the same thing at different times. And one said to me, you know, Isabel, I'm having a problem because I'm hearing all these prophetic voices saying, Jesus is coming soon. Like, really, like, soon will be soon. And uh, she said, but that can, I have a problem with it because I'm not married yet. I want to be married first, and I have, you know, and I listened to her going on and on, and I realized, you know, the dream, the promise of the desire of marriage, which is a good thing, has become a lover to herself. I want that first. I want that more. Hold it. Hold it. She is not there with the spirit and the bride Say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Eagerly, day and night, saying, Come, Lord Jesus. But her soul is saying, This first, that first. You see, a lover of your soul can be the promise of healing. It's a good thing, but still a lover. If that, having that, you know, will, is what will satisfy you, what will make you happy more than just having Jesus alone. You see, that is what makes the difference. It's not what he can give us, it's who he is. And many of us, you know, our soul tends to get caught in the things that he gives us. The gifts, the blessings, you know, the jewelry, the money, the trips, the vacations, the finances, all the things that a bridegroom can give you. Everybody wants to marry wealthy. Wouldn't that be lovely? You get all these things. And many turn away wonderful, wonderful men or wonderful women just because of something like that. Because it's not who they are, it's what they can give me. And so we have to be very careful because that's what society has taught us. The world has taught us that. A lover of your soul can be your pain. Physical or emotional. A lover of your soul can be unforgiveness. A lover of your soul can be anger, bitterness, resentment, regret. You don't realize it's a lover. However, if it is constantly there, if it is something you are drawn to, you're focusing on constantly, it is a lover of your soul. And you see, people who have, I was once in an abusive relationship, and it is very interesting because there is something that you want out, but you can't get out, you, you know, and when you're in an abusive relationship, it controls you. The control issue is very important, very big. And you don't like it, you went out, but you don't know how to, you can't get out because it binds you, There's, it is a bondage. And uh Abusive lovers are like that. I mean, I didn't have a lover. It was just a fiancé. But, you know, all those things are abusive lovers of your soul. They destroy you. They're cruel to you. You know, unforgiveness is very, very cruel. It beats you up all the time. You know, resentment, resentments, they get you sick and they don't let you sleep or eat or enjoy anything else. 
stress is one of the worst ones. The stress is as bad as it gets, you know. And all the things, these things, engage your soul. And lovers tend to will distract you. Whatever your lovers are, you know who the lovers of your soul are, and they change from time to time to time. You know, your soul goes from this one, then this one, then that one, and it takes turns, turns because it isn't just one. Our soul has many lovers. And so, what, when you realize, pay attention, what is the most, the thought that's more often in your mind? What is the feeling or the emotion that you experience more often that just arises as there? What is the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning? You know, is it your problem? Is it the finances? Finances is a big lover. You know, is it the debts that you have to pay? Is it the money that you have or you don't have? Is it your children? Is it your husband that is not listening or is not coming or whatever? You know, what is the first thing that arises in your mind? What is the thing that when you wake up in the middle of the night pops up into your head? The cares of life, the problems in the world, the trouble out there, you know, the things you face, your work, your boss. What is it that arises as soon as you wake up? What is the last thought in your mind when you go to sleep? What does your soul engage with when you go to sleep? And you will start discerning the lovers of your soul. The, one, the things, if I get this, it'll be okay. Because, you know, the enemy knows. And he knows when you have a lover, all he has to do is come and touch it, and you get all upset now. If your finances are a lover of your soul, and they get shaken, and, you know, all of a sudden, you actually can start complaining towards God and accusing him. What's wrong with God? Why didn't he protect me? Why didn't I use the question in his character? And then, my friends, the greatest satisfaction the devil could ever have. You want to make the devil smile to that. To have God's children, the sons and daughters, the one that Jesus died for, accusing that is the greatest thing the devil can do to him. You know, that's the greatest thing any person on earth that is against you can do to your children against you. You see, and we are not mindful of those things, but that's happening a lot. If your lover is your health, if your lover is, you know, your relationships, all your gifts, your talents, or your health, some of these, like I said, are good things, but if it touches them, he can make you shake. How real is, is that's, that's when you know whether he's the lover of your soul or not. Whether he touches it or not. You know, we have shed, oh, those two fellows, Daniel and his friends, may, I can't say them in, in English. Those guys, I will share some. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, those guys, 
they knew. When they stood there and their very lives were being shaken, their very lives were there, but they said, it doesn't matter whether our God is able to deliver us from this. But if not, if he chooses that we experience this furnace, just know this, we will not bow down to you. You can tell he was the lover of their soul, not just their spirit. And their body knew it. It doesn't matter. I have lived through that, having to choose between Jesus and death. You know, deny Jesus and live. Choose Jesus and die and be hurt and tortured, but I went through. I knew very quickly, you have to make choices. It's not by what you feel. You cannot go by what you feel. It's choices. The choices of today carry you tomorrow because the Holy Spirit will empower those choices. You see? Because if you have to make the decision at the moment, you can't. When you are facing pain, physical pain, when you are facing beatings with chains, when you are facing death, you cannot stand. At that moment, it's very easy. If he's not the lover of your soul, it's very easy to turn and compromise. Don't touch that, you see? And we can say, like Peter, I will not deny you. I will never do it. But it is very arrogant to think we want. You know? And so we have to be careful. The lovers of the soul. I remember when I first married Ivan. And um, because I grew up, both my parents had tried to kill me. And other people had tried to kill me too. And other things, and lots of rejection, and lots of abuse through life growing up, and all kinds of things. Ivan and I got married. I met Jesus. He became the lover of my entire being. Everything. I sold everything for the pearl of great value. And, uh, you know, it was all about Jesus. And I spent every second of my life, every day, it was about him. My spirit, my soul, my mind, uh, my body, everything was about Jesus, about the Father, the Holy Spirit, getting to know them, loving them. And uh, I met Ivan. And we got married. And when we got married, God blessed us with a great love. And um, we were happy. I was happy in a real earthly, real happy in every earthly relationship. And I found this amazing love and this joy and this. I enjoyed every moment of our marriage, except when we, you know, wanted to kill each other. But that's different. <laughs> you know, most of the time it was pretty. You know, silly is very good. But, you know, and I suddenly realized something. Secretly, quietly, my soul was being distracted. And I found out that deep inside, I found myself saying, with a, it wasn't an intentional thing. That's how it happened. See, it wasn't intentional, but all of a sudden I found myself saying, Oh, Jesus, come in. don't come back. I don't want him to come back yet. Not yet, not yet. You know, hold on, because I wanted to be married to Ivan longer. I wanted to enjoy being married to him. It was so wonderful. And I kept thinking, Oh, if he comes back, I won't be married to him anymore. That's it. And I really want to be married. I do want Jesus to come back. Don't get me wrong. I still want him to come back. But not yet. Not yet. I want this right now. I want to enjoy this more than Jesus coming back. And I found myself no longer eagerly awaiting his return. 
You see, my son had found another love that was being distracted with this lover. And the problem was, I didn't know how to come back. How do you fix that? I had no idea. And I was so conflicted that I began to feel guilty. And now I couldn't quite, I was guilty about being so happy with Ivan because I wasn't so thrilled about Jesus coming back anymore. And my soul and the spirit began to, you know, struggle inside because Galatians says that the spirit and the soul are at war within us. And we feel they pull in different directions. And somebody has to referee and make a decision that that's you. And I was there saying, oh, I could feel the tension of the spirit and the war, uh, the spirit and the soul. And so I kept crying out to the Lord because I didn't know how to fix it. I wanted to get back because my first love was being compromised. My first love, you see, lukewarmness can come in so easily. Sin will take you there. But there are other lovers that are not just plain sin that will take you there. To lukewarmness, you know, an offense or, a, you know, disappointment. Many things, anything that will entertain you can cause lukewarmness to come in. And we all experience this. We just have to be mindful of it and get on top of it quickly. So anyway, as I was crying out to the Lord, He knows what we need. He's so kind and He's the provider of everything. We were in worship one day. And um, Ivan was sitting down worshiping. I was standing up worshiping. And we were facing the wall like this. And the worship team was here. And as I was worshiping, all of a sudden, the wall in front of me disappeared. And I had this open vision. And then this other realm opened up clear in front of me. And as I looked into it, suddenly I saw the sky. And I saw it parting, and I saw Jesus returning. And I had that one glimpse of him coming back. And it was so incredible, so overwhelming, so real. And even though it was a vision, but it was the re- so real seeing it, he is, him coming back, that it completely raptured my soul again. And it refocused me completely, and at that moment, I knew I wanted him more than Ivan, him. I wanted him, and whatever it took, even the wonderful blessings of earth, will not compare to him, and having the fullness of him. Being ready, eagerly awaiting that moment, and it set me back on fire, and that moment I knew nothing else will distract me. It, I want him more than even the wonderful things or the hard things. You know, pride is a really bad lover. Pride can really put you in a prison, beat you up, and, you know, bind you. Pride is a terrible thing. A cruel, cruel lover. And so we have to find where they are, discern the lovers of the soul. The Bible says that we need to love them, love God, Everything, spirit, soul, and body, everything, with all our mind, all our strength, all our soul, our will, with everything, when you have lovers. 
you are not living that. Your mind is not. You are not loving him with all your mind because your mind is focusing your, your fears, your worries, your concerns. You know, so you are giving your affections and attentions to that and you are not living the, the way it should be. We have in Revelation 2 to, and 2 to 4, we read about the church of Ephesus. And, uh, you know, it says in there, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and you read it all. That was a happening place, a happening church. They were they're doing everything right. It was a busy place. They were, you know, making good decisions. They were doing great things. He says, there, it goes through the list in there. I know it all. He said, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. See, on that day, that seems to be the important thing. You see, you have lost your first love. It is very important. And we have the church of Laodicea. And in the church of Laodicea, in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, is another happening place. Great things are happening. They are doing good things. And then he says to them, but I have this against you. So these are the things at the end of the day that matter to him as with any relationship. Because he is a relational God. And this is a relational kingdom. And he said, you have to do all these things for me. I know all those things. But I have these against you. You are not hot or cold. But you are lukewarm. And because of that, I will spit you out of my mouth. To me, that is more scary than anything else. Than anything I face on earth. I'd rather die than even, you know, the thought of, Something like that. You see, we can do all kinds of great things, like in the scripture says, and Paul says, if I don't have love, it doesn't matter. I can prophesy up the wazoo, but if Jesus, the love of God is Jesus in us. He is the love of God. That's what First Peter four sixteen says. You know, and if we and not in this place. You know, it doesn't matter. It's out of relationship that we do what we do, that we must live out of that place, out of relationship. That we don't do it to impress Him, we do it because we love Him. We love, do it because we want everybody to know Him the way we do. Because we want people to know the Father as wonderful as He is because we have encountered Him and we love Him so much. Out of that passion, out of that love, that we do, but when we just do to do, we can do great things. But you know, when the, the Bible tells us about those who will stand before Him and say, on, in that day, in your name we cast out demons, and we pray for the sick, and we did this and that and the other thing. And Jesus wasn't really impressed by that. It doesn't mean we don't do, because we do it, but it's a motivation. And Jesus said, but I don't know you. See, the name of Jesus has power. You use it, and knees bow down in the unseen realm too. And there is submission to that name. Principalities 
you know, recognizing. But for God, it's relational. I don't, but I don't know you. He said, depart from me. The scripture says that in these last days, if, if it were possible, there should be con- if there be condition, even the elect would be deceived. We have never seen so much deception in the world as right now. And so much deception in the church, like right now, is running rampant. And the reason why it is increasing like this is simply because many people have been losing relationship with him. You know, like the parable of the ten virgins. You know that parable, so we don't need to read it. The parable of the ten virgins. It's very easy to forget that connection, that relationship that fills you, that sustains you. You know, everybody knows the reality of a wedding. We, are, we know, we know, we know, we are preparing for a wedding and all those things. We know that. But, you know, when I was going to marry Ivan, and uh, some of you know our story, you know, how God put us together. But um, Ivan gave me the promise we got engaged, and he gave me the promise of coming back to marry me. And he left. He went back to Canada. I was in Costa Rica in a third world country. And um, everybody, absolutely everybody, including my dad, everybody said to me exactly what the scoffers are saying today. They said to me, oh, don't put all your eggs on that basket. Wait and see. Prepare yourself because, you know, you don't never know. Come on. We have seen them with others. They say, yes, these foreigners come. And they have one thing in the mind, you know, because my family and my, most of them were not Christians. And even people in the church were Christians. You know, they were telling me that, oh, well, you know, why would he come back? Like, what do you, what, what do you have that he cannot have better in North America? The women, they are prettier. And they are there, and they are this, and they are that. And they were saying all these things. And, you know, well, you just, it's not like you, we didn't have a relationship. Really, we didn't date. And so, it wasn't like we had had this long courtship or anything that, you know, they could say. And, um, so they were saying, well, he's not here, you know, why would he come back? It's not like we could look into each other's eyes and say, oh, yes. No, he went to different countries. We were both doing internships for our church, you know, for nothing. We had no money at all. Back then, we didn't have internet. There was a time, kids, there was no internet. <laughs> and we had no you know, Skype to see each other and be connected. It was faith, really trust in the, in the world, in the promises, you know, and uh, we couldn't even afford phone calls because it was about $2 a minute or something, to 50 or something like that. We couldn't afford ever that. In a third world country, I couldn't, and I even couldn't either have the money. So it wasn't like we could, in a physical way, keep kindle all these things and that so it was 
it was really hard when my dad would sit me down and say, you know, we have seen this before, these foreigners come, and they try to romance the girls in this here. They, most of them just are looking for one thing, you know, they want to sleep with them, and when they do, they leave, or if they don't do, they leave, and since they didn't know Ivan, he was not looking for that, and there wasn't on the table at all, because we love Jesus, but he was not a believer, my dad, so he's talking to me in those terms, he said, if you didn't give it to him, we don't give it to him, why would he come back, and if you did, why would he come back, there was no winning there, you know, and so, Day after day after day, everybody kept telling me, don't set your course in that direction. Don't put your life on hold believing that because you will end up disappointed. You will lose everything. You could have done this and all kinds of things. But instead, you are waiting for this promise and a dream that who knows, maybe, but it's iffy. And there were days when it was shaking. Especially when it was my dad telling me these things, and even sometimes my pastor telling me these things. And people I trusted with, my friends were telling me these things. Only one my sis- one of my sisters who knew Jesus and loved Jesus, and uh, like I did, she was the only one, and uh, you know, along with the Holy Spirit saying, you know, hang in there. But everybody else was discouraging me. And I had a decision to make because my soul was being torn. My soul was, yeah, it's true, why not, you know? And um, so <clears throat> I realized I cannot be like this. You know, this will just emotionally, this will wreck me. I have to make a decision. I cannot be hot, uh, lukewarm about this, either hot or cold. And stand there, but no lukewarm. I can't be that way. I have to make a decision. And I decided to believe. And I decided to trust. And I decided to prepare. And I prepared. They said to me, don't you prepare for a wedding that may not happen. Don't waste money on that. Don't waste drinks, energy on that. Don't you go looking for a dress and get ready for this wedding. It's probably going to happen. Yeah, yeah, he says, coming back, but... And you know what? I thought, no. I trust God and his promises. I trust Ivan and his word. He said he's coming back. And I prepared. I got ready. I got a dress. I got everything. I got ready for this wedding based on a promise. When everybody was telling me, Live life and forget about it. And you know, I eagerly awaited. Eagerly awaited that it would come. And I fixed my eyes on that and nothing distracted me, no matter the circumstances, the challenges. I was offered two weeks before God brought Ivan, you know, the best job. I went to college for that job. It would have made me rich. And I said, it's yours. We want to hire you start on Monday. And all I had was a promise of a return. And I turned it down. I said, I can't. I have made some choices. I have a purpose. I have already accepted another 
great opportunity, another affair. And you know, I remember my soul screamed inside and said, You're crazy. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Somebody near me said, Well, just take it. You can quit after focus and go in that direction. You know, if it really happens, then. And I thought that wasn't it. You know, it was a wonderful whirlwind in front of me. Move your eyes, and you will lose your promise. And I wasn't going to. I turned it all down because God said so. I was preparing for a wedding. I know where I'm going. This is going to happen. And it happened. You know, and he came, and everybody just in their faces when it actually he, came, he returned for me. My dad said, wow, he really meant it. People said, some people said, but why? Yeah. But why? Like, third world country, I mean, it wasn't very... I was in a church, we couldn't wear makeup or shave our legs. You know, it wasn't a pretty picture at all. It wasn't like I looked glamorous. I didn't. You know, and all those things. But, you see, we are in the days like that where we have to make choices. You can get distracted with all kinds of things, or you can fix our eyes on him. He's coming. The day of our wedding. There were 700 people in that building. My dad and I stood at the back of that church, and there was a long walk, because it was a big building with all those hundreds of people. And there was excitement in the air, friends and church family and relatives and everything. And um, because it was also, it was a statement for our church, promises and dreams to come to pass. And even the big things, impossible things do happen to regular people. And so, when my dad and I stood at the back of that church, and I saw Ivan at the front, I looked into his eyes and I locked my eyes in his eyes. It was a long walk up that aisle. Lots of people were throwing flowers at me, waving at me, smiling. I could see their joy. I could see it with them all with my peripheral sight. But I never moved my eyes from Ivan's eyes. No matter who it was, no matter all the wonderful and the love and all those things, it wasn't about them. That was about us. I was going to marry him, not them. And I would not be distracted. I, would, I walked up to marry, to marry him, looking into his eyes. And I know that's what Jesus is looking for. A bride that is eagerly awaiting or being distracted by this, that, and the other thing. So that your love will not grow cold. That's the most important thing. Those things are good and God wants to bless us and he will give us wonderful things. But all those things, even the great promises of God or the challenges and the pains and the, all those, you know, whatever, the different attractions are you see, that tempt you to look this way and get you this. Move your eyes for a minute. He will still be up the aisle. You can look back. You know? But it robs you from that encounter with him. That experience is so intimate between the two of you at the moment. 
you know, they're all around you. But leave them in your peripheral sight, not on your focus. Let them be peripheral. You see, they will not go away, they will always be there. But don't give them more than your peripheral sight. Let your focus be on the one that should be and wants to be the all in all, the lover of your soul. You see, until the time and the point comes when you see you know he's the lover of your soul. If when trouble comes, when bad news comes from somewhere and uh, things are shaken, the doctor gives you bad news or the bank or, you know, your family or something, job, when bad news comes with family or whatever, who does your mind turn to first? That's when you know if your mind knows him or not. You see, who does it turn to first? Fears, worries, concerns, freaking out, panics, anger, all of that? Or does it turn to Jesus right away? Does your mind turn to him first? And, you know, and focus, locks eyes on him, let this to be peripheral. Or do you lock on it? And he is peripheral. You see, do you know he's the lover of your soul? If when those things happen, your feelings, your emotions turn to him first. And then to those other things. It's peripheral. But your, your, soul, your emotions know where to turn. If your emotions know him. If your emotions are loving him. If he is the lover of your soul, your emotions, your feelings know him. And love him. And turn to him first. Even though you feel the storms and your soul is troubled, and you say, like King David said, why are you so troubled with him? Just relax, rest, have a nap, for I will trust him. See, his soul knew him. He was the lover of his soul, not just his spirit. And he focused on him. Jesus said, you know, Father, not my will but yours. His soul at that moment was in trouble. But his soul knew the Father. And chose him above all things. When we do that, we can go through anything. And we can live the fullness. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalm 84. To me, that's the most, there's the epitome of victorious Christian life. That's the culmination. Even though we walk through the valley of weeping, it becomes a place of refreshing springs. Where do you fix your eyes? You see the lover of your soul. And when you live like that, you will not lose the first love. So very quickly now, I want to help you with some tools that will, you know, work. If you find yourself that you have lost that first love, or you find that lovers are coming and your peripheral is changing, you're engaging more with the peripheral, and you lost focus of the one that is waiting for you, they're coming for you, expecting you. You know, if the eagerness is gone, but your eagerness is more on the promise, on the dream, or on, you know, the pride or the vengeance or whatever it is. You know, if you find out where your eagerness is, we need to find our eagerness in life. Where is our eagerness? What is it? 
you know, and redirect it. We are in charge of our soul. Our soul is not in charge of us. You see, so you find yourself that the cares of life start making you look warm. And your passion starts dwindling. It's very easy to fix. Don't fret. There is still time to buy oil and keep the lamps burning. Repent, of course. First thing, forgiveness and repentance. The work of the cross should be part of our daily lives, you know, always. I told you the other day, and this is for us. God has helped us tremendously not to lose sight of it. We have communion every single night. You cannot take those elements and meet at the foot of the cross to remember with the Trinity. And uh, have unclean hands and have... You know, issues become quickly short accounts, forgiveness, repentance. Every single day, making sure everything is dealt with. Transgressions are clear both ways. You repent, you forgive. It's very, very good to keep us on track and check. Worship, worship, worship. These things I'm going to tell you now are to help your soul, to engage your soul, because your spirit is ready. Is the soul that needs engaging. So to help our soul worship, worship, worship. Make it part of your always life. Worship. The music is one of the most engaging elements to your soul. Music will draw your soul. Whatever music you listen, that's what your soul will engage. The impartation of music is powerful. That's why the devil knows it. He used to be a head worshiper in heaven before he, the fall. You know, he knows worship, music. Music will engage your soul. You start listening to some of that, you know, worldly music inspired by lustful desires and that, and you will find yourself suddenly thinking of those things and being drawn to it because music carries an impartation to your soul. Very, very powerful. You know, songs, when you say, I can't get that song out of my mind, it's because your soul has engaged with it. And if the song is there running, engage with worship. Let worship be there. Let your soul engage with it. You know, and you will see a tremendous thing. Don't wait for Sunday morning. Excuse me, please, to be there. Your worship. Feel because you are robbing God. Worship is not for us, it's for Him. We come to give, not to receive during worship. We come to give to Him. So, sacrifice of worship, expression of love. You see, this worship is not about you, it's about pleasing Him. So, but you see the worship thing. These guys can, you know, from the get go, they are worshiping the hatch out. But the reason is, they are worshipped up. They didn't come empty to fill here. But they came to give out of the overflow of the engaging. They're engaged with worship and home. They're engaged with worship all the time. And their soul is already on board when they stand here. We need to live that way. Engage with worship in life. So that our soul, not just the spirit, but our soul is ready to jump in. At all times, music will engage your soul and keep it there. You know, 
kindle and keep it excited and keep it on fire. We'll keep it from lukewarmness. We have said this over and over this week. I will say it one more time. Thankfulness. Thankfulness will keep you from losing your first love. A thankful heart is a heart that turns to love. It's a heart that is ready. It's a heart. In, in, when you are thankful and you engage in thankfulness to God constantly, you think about thankfulness to Him. The things you are thankful for, you invest into that. It keeps you engaged. It keeps your emotions engaged. It keeps your soul engaged. Thankfulness will draw you and will keep you from lukewarmness, even in the hard times. You can be in the midst of the wilderness, and, but if you focus on thankfulness, you will not get all dried up and beat up. The valley of weeping becomes a place of refreshing springs. Thankfulness will protect your first love, will keep you from lukewarmness. Thankfulness in a marriage will keep you also. It's an amazing thing when you live in thankfulness to each other. Your soul is engaged with the other. Lukewarmness doesn't come either. You see, thankfulness, laughter. Trust me, these things are very expensive. And I'm sharing with you things that have taken me about 40 years to learn. You can get them quickly and run with them. Laughter, 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 laughter is a heavenly behavior. Comes from the, it's a heavenly thing. Laughter comes from the throne room of God. Laughter is a kingdom thing, not earthly thing. Laughter is a medicine. You know that even for pain, for, it's true. Laughter actually produce, causes your brain to produce chemicals that heal your body. If you have chronic pain, 10 minutes of laughter produce two hours pain-free. I live with chronic pain. For 26 years, I have lived with serious chronic pain from back injuries. You know, so I understand, but I don't worship that. I worship Jesus, and I laugh in pain. And it changes everything, changes the atmosphere. An atmosphere of laughter can be inhabited by angels. There's unity and love when you laugh. Laughter is the greatest bonding element in relationships. And when you laugh, you will bond with God too. It's the greatest bonding. When we got revival in Toronto in 94, we got laughter. It was one of the first things that we got. Powerful laughter, rolling around, roaring laughter. People spiritualize it as holy laughter. It's laughter. And we saw, we experienced it ourselves, but we saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of burnt out, disconnected Christians get this dear stress and they got broke through and were able to reconnect with God through laughter. You see, laughter breaks stress completely. There's nothing that shatters stress like laughter. Practice it. Build it back into your lives. The spiritual Christians are really boring. You know? Join the house of the Lord. Practice laughter. What makes you take and do it? If you are married, tickle each other again. You know, practice humor, laughter. 
It's a really good thing. It's a heavenly thing. And you will see transformation. It shifts the atmosphere completely. When there is laughter, the accuser, the enemy, the devourer cannot get in. The best cure for burnout is laughter. I lived through burnout once. Burnout will destroy you. Laughter will release you from it. You know, if I ask you, when was the last time that you laughed until you, you wet your pants? <laughs> you know? Most Christians can answer that. <laughs> My goodness, they're horrified of it. But we need to get back there. Ha- heaven is a happy thing. The kingdom of God on earth. Is joy is one of the ingredients. Remember we talked this weekend about it. Joy, peace, and righteousness. Laughter. You know, Ivan and I have another rule. Before we go to sleep, we have communion. And usually that's the last thing we do. But before that, we watch sitcoms on the computer. Every single night. When we watch sitcoms, we watch comedies, we watch... You know, at least two or three until, depending on how tired we are, even after ministry, we go back to our room and we watch until we laugh. There is a big difference. When you go to sleep after laughing, you break stress. You go to sleep after laughing, your spirit is free to connect with God when your body is sleeping because the walls of the soul are down. And your spirit is free. You can have heavenly encounters at night after laughing because your spirit can connect. The atmosphere is different than if you go tired, frustrated, concerned, angry. All those things doesn't work. You cannot connect, have that active life at night with God. But laughter is free. You know, so laugh, laugh, laugh. And you will find yourself connected with God in a way that you will not lose your first love. Because even though there are walls around, they will remain peripheral. And you will be connected with the focus and relationship. Very, very important. Pray in tongues, people. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. If you have the gift of tongues, use it. It will not wear out. Use it. Use it, use it, use it. If you don't pray in tongues, you're fine. You will still go to heaven. Don't worry. But if you want, the gift is free and you can have it if you want. This guy, bless you, honey. This guy can pray for you and you can get it. Pray in tongues. Not once in a while when you are doing intercession. Don't let more than an hour go by without a good shout of tongues. Praying in tongues for a while. Good boost of it. You know, praying in tongues... Romans says it's to charge your, your own spirit. It is to sit for, you, for yourself, the spirit, but it charges you. When you're praying tongues, you enter into perfect alignment. And you start receiving. It's a conduct to receiving from the throne room, the connection. When you're confused, praying tongues, confusion disappears. You're feeling low, praying tongues, the tongue gets full again. It's so powerful, and it is wasted. Use it, use it, use it constantly. Engage with it, praying tongues as much as you can. Make it a habit. Praying tongues, and you will see great changes. 
express again, like I said, your love and thankfulness to God constantly. Be telling him throughout the day why you love him. Tell him throughout the day, you know, things you are thankful for within him and the Trinity. All of them. It will take all day, you know, to do that. And the last thing, there are many other things, but these are some of the things, and I'll finish with this. Some of the things that will help your soul engage quickly. It's about engaging. Ponder. Ponder. Ponder on his return. Ponder on it. You know, there is no formula here. Just ponder. Scripture says Mary pondered in her heart. The things got on her. Daniel pondered in his heart the things he saw that were to come. Ponder. Meditate on it. Meditate. And let your spirit and let your heart get engaged. Pondering engages the heart tremendously. You know, when it comes, you know, just the Bible says, what would that day be like? Ponder on it. And allow your heart to engage with it. Meditate, ponder. Ask God, you know, give me a glimpse. Show me. Ponder. What will be? Ponder on his return. Ponder on it. Make it part of your life. When you ponder on something, expectation arises within you. It awakens your, it engages your soul and awakens your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions engage into it. When you are meditating, pondering on it, you know, a pregnant woman ponders on her baby and can hardly wait to hold him or her. Ponder, will it have my eyes or my husband's eyes, my nose or his nose? You know, will it sing? Will it dance? What will it be like? When, you know, and you can see it, you can live it, you can taste it. Because you meditate and you ponder in your heart these things. You know, it's pondering is very, very important. There's a story in America of a girl in the States who won the Miss American pageant once. Every year somebody does. But this one girl was different from all others. When she won the pageant, you know, they get crowned and then they do the triumphal walk. Uh, they play the Miss American song, Miss America song, and that is the dream of every American girl to be Miss America in that moment. So this girl, they all almost they trip walking because the emotions and they they can hardly walk straight, and some of them have fallen, and you know it's just so it's drama. Good drama for them, but drama, you know, just so emotional. And they can hardly contain themselves. This girl was different. She got crowned and uh, gasping and everything of everybody. But she didn't gasp. She was excited, but it wasn't like, oh, my goodness, really? I want it, really? No, she was different. And when she walked, her triumphal walk as Miss America, she was confident. She was excited and happy. Tears were running down her face of joy. But she walked the press. This is what the media said. She walked the runway. She did that walk as if she owned the place. 
the confidence. She was certain there was a different way, the different, you know, in her it was not the same. They interviewed her after and they said, you know, what is the difference? Weren't you excited? You didn't behave like everybody else does. And she said, oh, I was thrilled. I was excited. Of course, it's the greatest thing that has happened to me. She said, however, I wasn't, you know, shocked like that about it or so overwhelmed because in my heart I have walked that walk thousands of times. She had pondered on that moment since she was little. She said, I have walked that walk. In my heart I knew what it would be like, what it would be like because I have done it. I could taste it. She said, because of that, I was 100% sure I would win. I would be Miss America. There was never a doubt. You see? She was in united. Spiritual and body was united in it. Because she had fixed her eyes on it. And her soul was as engaged as her mind was. She was fully engaged in it. How much more? Would it be for us, since we have the Holy Spirit to kindle that fire within us? We just have to cooperate, position ourselves, and whatever happens, remember, is only temporary. It may feel like the biggest thing. It may feel as crushing. You can survive it. Trust me. That too shall pass. And the goodness of God will be there. And either he gives you the great breakthrough here, whatever it is that you need, or he will come back and take you home and it won't matter. Or you will die and you won't need it anymore. You won't care about it. It is not anything that happens here. Remember, it's temporary. I we just have time to put more emphasis in that. But it's temporary, people. It's peripheral. It will pass. Even if you lose a great something that's so precious to you, you will get over it. It will pass if you don't fix your eyes on that. Don't make it the lover of your soul. But you make Jesus. No matter what happens, no one can take that away from you. No one can strip you from that. That's a pearl of great value. The lover of our soul. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. That you loved us so much. So, so much. That you made a way. Not just for Jesus was here's the door. But he was it is not just the door for us to come to you. He's the door for you to come to us. For you said, I will not leave you as orphans. And you came to us through Jesus to make us sons and daughters. 
So, Father, we want to thank you for the greatest gift of all, our Lord Jesus. We want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. For Jesus said, the Holy Spirit would be better for us than he was himself. It's hard to imagine. But he said that, it's better for you that I leave, so he will come, the Holy Spirit. And yet, we take him for granted so much. So, Father, we want to repent, for you have given us your best. And we haven't always appreciated it, for we have made the things of this life sometimes more important than these amazing treasures. So, Father, right now, we just, I want to pray on behalf of anyone who has found lovers in the soul. I want to pray for anyone, on behalf of everyone right now, that has found that they have lost the first love, or is this dwindling? Anyone whose heart is lukewarm, we can do, we can talk the talk, and I walk the walk. Anyone who is double-minded about all these things, so Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Father, we want to repent. Father, we want to repent for letting our love grow cold, for letting these distractions for those lovers. And Father, today, we want to join with the Spirit and the Bride to say, forsaking all others, we want you more. Teach us, Holy Spirit, take us there. And Father, it doesn't mean we give up on our dreams and our blessings. For you gave those to us and you intend to fulfill them. But we want to be like those three men, Daniel and his friends. Whether or not it doesn't change anything. It's about you. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus... I release an impartation for that power, that passion for Jesus, that overwhelming love for Jesus. The Father, for the bride, the spirit of the bride and the heart of the bride to arise in this house, for this to become a bridal place. Father, where it is about where we are going, it's about the preparations. Everything we do is just to please Him out of love. For the greater destiny will come. But may this be a place where the church becomes the bride. Where the concubines become the bride. Where the casual become the bride. Dear Jesus, will you arise in this place in a greater way as the center because you lead us to the Father. For Jesus said to Philip in John chapter 14, The Father and I are one. If you see me, you see him. Jesus is the way to the Father and his heart. So Father, in Jesus' name right now, 
I just release freedom into the souls that have been bound by lovers. I speak freedom right now and release, and in Jesus' name, with authority given to me, I right now for release forgiveness to anyone who has let go of the first love, for it doesn't happen intentional. For it as it happens one little bit at a time, that's how the oil goes out of the lamp. So, Father, right now, I just release freedom, for there is no guilt or condemnation in Christ. I have released freedom for a new beginning and a stronger beginning. I release right now an impartation for celebration and expectation. Celebration and expectation that is coming. For the things, the preparation for a wedding is the anticipation and preparation is very, very, very amazing. It's a time that is incredible to be living that and we get to live that. So I bless you right now in Jesus' name and I declare a shift in the atmosphere in this house right now for Perfect alignment in the areas or the hearts of those that need it. Focus. Locking eyes on that bridegroom. And Father, I just bring all needs, promises, all longings before you for fulfillment because you said you will. So we, I know that. But Father, we also surrender before you all the abusive lovers. You have been hurting, abusing your bride and the heart of your children. Father, there has been sorrows and grief, pain, lodged inside, disappointments and frustrations, angers, unforgiveness or bitterness, betrayals, loneliness, anything that has happened. In Jesus' name, Father, would you remove, bring those cruel lovers as we choose to end that relationship. We have to choose to forsake all others just for him. Revelation 22 Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy written in this book. Look, I am coming soon bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to release this message to the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, as a response to that, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life say, come. He, who is the faithful witness to all these things, says, Yes, I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come. 
and may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people in this day and this hour till the very day of his great return when that trumpet blows and I promise you as Ivan often says every one of you is you will be guaranteed to see the return of Jesus it's a guarantee you will see the return of Jesus for either he will come for us corporately to take us or he will come for you personally to take you but there is a guarantee return of Jesus for every one of us a personal return for the earthly death is simply an encounter with him it's a means for him to have us so I bless you tonight today with expectation excitement and preparation For aside from your salvation, there is no greater thing than Him coming back for you. Because regardless of what many will say, for the scoffers are already trying to steal that away from the bride. Regardless of what you hear, Regardless of what things may look like, he's saying, I am coming back. He is the Alpha of the Omega. Everything ends with him. Everything ends at that. What he said is the final period not what anyone else will say he said he's coming back prepare for it prepare your house and your children prepare with expectation of this amazing encounter and i promise you the holy spirit will guarantee it for it says in ephesians 4 30 he guarantees our salvation in the day of redemption. He makes sure we make it home. Position yourselves in the place where he can empower you and do it. For it will come. Just as he said he will do. Amen.